Press the buttons. Can you stand? Oh, Heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, for our table, our presence, and fill us all things, treasure your blessings, and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I almost said this morning, but this afternoon we are going to talk about the next uh, part of the Nicene Creed, which is about the Holy Spirit, which goes like this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, and who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Before we jump in to kind of a little bit of a history and a basic outline of Orthodox understanding of the Holy Spirit, and then some particularly pertinent scripture, I just want to ask, what is, was your experience, it might be in transition, your experience and understanding of the Holy Spirit? What did you grow up thinking the Holy Spirit was? I'll give you, to some degree, ignored. What? Ignored to some degree. Ignored? The Holy Spirit was ignored? Invisible? As in, like, invisible because people didn't see it or know it, or invisible as in you can't see the Holy Spirit? So just for the sake of the recording, Daniel shared being a, a church in Memphis where they're basically the understanding of the Holy Spirit was as you read scripture, the Holy Spirit will guide you into the right interpretation of scripture. It almost sounds like you grew up in the same church that I did, Daniel, because the Holy Spirit and what I grew up in, there was not, there was never a denial of the Holy Spirit as God. Don't really ask us what that means because the Holy Spirit was basically guiding you to understand scripture. There was not a realist understanding of the Holy Spirit is something, even though scripture talks about like dwelling within you and those kind of things, it was the Holy Spirit was more of the right understanding of things, uh, which we hear uh, even in the, the prayer that we began, which we'll talk a little bit about because this is kind of one of the prayers to the Holy Spirit for us. Uh, we don't have it from Pascha on, and we receive it back at Pentecost, and that is the prayer, O Heavenly King, that we began uh, this class with. Because we talk about o Heavenly, the Holy Spirit being the comforter and the spirit of truth. So usually what happens, I'll say on one level, there's heresy. And in some ways, I think unbeknownst and not because of any ill will, I was kind of raised on some heretical ideas of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but also just, there's not a, like Joshua said, there's not even a practical, like what do you do with the Holy Spirit? What, what, what is going on? Uh, it just seems like an appendage to Jesus Christ. This especially, uh, I think Arnold, what you said, it was kind of in, uh, invisible. I'll take it to a different, even invisible because... It's okay. That means the church is doing well. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit doesn't show up in worship at all. 
we might got a hymn every once in a while that mentioned the Holy Spirit. Uh, and if we read, you know, like the end of 1 John or the end of the Gospel of Matthew where it talks about the Holy Spirit, if we got somewhere in those uh, high priestly prayers of Jesus, we might talk about the Holy Spirit. But my experience growing up is we didn't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. What has been your experience in coming to reading and worshiping and praying in the Orthodox Church? Is there anything that has been, have you been enlightened in any particular way, David? Uh, enlightened, I don't know. Maybe more context. Uh, uh-huh. uh, like it's not less de-emphasized, uh, but actually like thinking of it as a, uh, not a person, but uh, like we address it as... You can think of it as a person. No, no, no you, you can think of it. You yeah. can think of the Holy Spirit as a person, definitely. Because if you don't, we're going to have to talk more. Right. But, uh, <laughs> I just didn't know if that was the right word to use. But like a right thing word. as opposed to this force around it. Oh, a force. Yeah, that's kind of how I was. Like Star Wars. Yeah, like it's... The force is like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it is everywhere present, filling all things and floating stuff. Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> the fact that we have heard that address it. Address him. You yeah, can say him. him. Yeah. Let's let's get away from it. Sorry. Yeah. Him. Yeah. That was uh, in, enlightening to me. Those of us who grew up in the seventies had so many bad sermons <laughs> about the force and the Holy Spirit. Really? <laughs> oh, Man, yeah. I'm glad I was born in the eighties. Then we had Star Wars came out. So many preachers just latched onto that as at last I have a way to try to describe the Holy Spirit, and there were so many bad sermons. There, there's a nice gif that's uh, this robot going, heresy alert, heresy alert, heresy alert. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is not the force. If you at least come away from this class with that, then we've accomplished something. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is not an amorphous thing. Yes, Arnold. In so much art, the Holy Spirit is depicted as a dove. Right. When I was a kid, I kind of thought it was a dove. Or the dove had the Holy Spirit in it when it came down and gave it to people. Well, well, we'll talk about why the dove would figure so much. I think I, I've heard a lot of, like, maybe it's a newer thing, the Spirit-led church. Right. This idea that, like, well, what, what do you do? Like, how does it become Spirit-led? Like, was it not spirit before and you were just doing two parts of the Trinity? But I think since I come to Orthodoxy is that they're... In our daily prayer cycle, in our liturgical cycle, there's never really a time where you just focus on just the Father or just the Son or just they're, they're never devoid of one another. There's always it's always the Trinity together working out your salvation inside. Say that again a little bit louder. <laughs> For those in the back, go ahead. And and so in Orthodoxy now, there's never a time during our prayer life or during our liturgical life where the Trinity is separated away from, where the Holy Spirit is separated from the other two parts of the Trinity, where they are always together, operating and working in us to work out our salvation. So they're always together, they're always working together, and they're working together within us in order to work out our salvation. Yes. So in the history of the church, does anyone else want to Share from share time about the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, I, 
Yeah, we, we can grow closer. We can uh, grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can also quench the Holy Spirit, to use scriptural language. Um, I would always, with any, just one caveat about any th- way that we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and even what I'm about to, we have to be careful with a lot of our metaphors and just remembering that they're metaphors, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and I, I don't think this is at all what you mean. It doesn't like grow within us and then like recede, right? Like that, those are metaphorical ways of our relationship uh, to the Holy Spirit. That is always a relationship with, as we're going to talk about here in a second, with Jesus Christ and God the Father. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit in any sense outside of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Yes? One of the other ones that I understood too is that I used to have this belief that once you say your sinner's prayer, that now you receive the Holy Spirit, which I think there's some truth to that because he's everywhere present and fills all things. But there is a complete difference between having the Holy Spirit as he exists in the Trinity in very specific places and comes into our reality than just saying he's here like he is in a church or in his grocery store. Right. There, he is everywhere present and filling all things. But there are particular places that he has set aside, sanctified, where he specifically, like the Holy Spirit is present to those who are outside of the church. How else do you say Jesus is Lord? But the Holy Spirit dwells within a Christian in a way that he does not dwell in somebody who's not baptized and chrismated and in the life of the church. So the history of the the church defending the belief in the Holy Spirit, uh, as you all realize, if you just come to one service of orthodoxy and you had a kind of Christian background or even not, you're coming away and be like, man, they say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit a lot. We do, and then if you notice, even our movements, like why? Okay, one time, okay, he's going around two times, okay, now we're going to do it three times. Like we have ingrained, even into the way we physically move in a space, the Trinity. In the history of the church with Nicaea and the early ecumenical council and then debates about the divinity of Jesus, what came right along after that was the need to defend in the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. If the entire debate about Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man, and that is necessary for our salvation, if if he's not fully God, then what are we doing? If he's not fully man, how is he going to actually save us? So then it comes back, so what about the Holy Spirit? So you would have, there's this debate, live, lively debate in the early church saying the Holy Spirit is kind of like a force or some kind of emanation or this kind of go-between, maybe even like an angelic figure. There's something else going on with the Holy Spirit. And the fathers of the church, I'm thinking especially of Basil the Great, uh, Gregory the Theologian, St. Athanasius, uh, they were very, very defensive about the full divinity of the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus Christ had to be fully God and fully man, in order to save us, 
the Holy Spirit and the way. Whoa! <laughs> nice. Somebody just a little child just slipped for somebody wondering in the recording. But <laughs> the Holy Spirit is required, especially if you read Basil the Great on his great treatise on the Holy Spirit, which somebody has quipped. Uh, it's all about presuppositions. And it's all about, because if you read scripture, what is it? The Holy Spirit is in, in, prepositions. I said presuppositions. My presuppositions about prepositions were incorrect. So prepositions. Oh. Uh, and presuppositions. It can't, but you're right. It is prepositions. Uh, when we read scripture, we have to pay attention to even those specific things. Because a Christian is in Christ, but he's also in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you and dwells within you. And we will look at Romans 8 at the end of the class. Uh, so you just don't think I'm making it up here. Uh, the relationship that we have to have with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the one that is going to vivify and deify us. It is, he is the application of what Jesus Christ has done for our nature to each of us individually. He's the one who makes the life in Christ possible. So if we look at the history of uh, our Lord's ministry, and even going back to creation, we always have, uh, from creation on, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have God hovering above the waters in the beginning of Genesis. And then we go to the Gospel of Matthew, or we just look at some of the Gospels, we see how does Jesus Christ enter into the world? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit overshadowing the, the, the Theotokos, right? So, what happens, we talked about the Gospel of Matthew last time a little bit about Sermon on the Mount. What then happens throughout just Matthew? What is the Holy Spirit doing? So the Holy Spirit brings Jesus into the world bodily. He empowers him to begin his ministry. And he descends upon him after he's baptized. He ascends and alights upon him at his baptism. If you read the text, the Holy Spirit's the one that drives him into the wilderness. It is the Holy Spirit that is making his, uh, working together for the miracles. Uh, it is the Holy Spirit that is present throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ. And even Paul in Romans 1, it is the Spirit of uh, God that raises up Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the Holy Spirit that resurrects Jesus. In the icon of the baptism of our Lord, and I mean the icon, but also mean like the event, the iconic event of the baptism, you are getting the depiction of what the life of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is. It is, if you remember, the baptism of our Lord. Uh, we have Jesus going into the water with John the Baptist. You have the voice of God the Father. And then you have the dove coming down and alighting upon the sun. This is the relationship in the Trinity. It is God the Father who is the author of things, the one who's saying, this is my beloved son. You have Jesus Christ, the word who has become enfleshed for us. This is the content of what God the Father has to say to us, what he created all things from and then you have the Holy Spirit uh, ascending uh, sorry descending alighting upon the sun and uh, 
confirming what the Father has done in sending the Spirit. This is the way that we speak in the Traparian, the hymn for the Feast of Theophany. What do we even say at the hymn? When thou, Lord, was baptized in the Jordan, worship of the Trinity was made manifest. You have in Theophany the icon, not just kind of like of this historical event where God the Father spoke and this dove came down and Jesus and then that begins like he's baptized and that begins his ministry. What you have here is a depiction of what it means for God to be Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This goes from creation where we have God the Father has, again, we're talking metaphors here, but he basically is, he wills to create. It is through his Son, God the Word, Jesus, that he creates all things and is the Holy Spirit that basically comes along and structures that uh, puts the finishing touch on everything. This is then when we say in the creed that the Holy Spirit spoke by the prophets, uh, we believe it wasn't just the Holy Spirit inspiring prophets, but you have the prophets all, if you go back and look at the Theophanies, when they saw God, they're seeing, according to the fathers of the church, they're seeing Jesus Christ revealed from the burning bush to the throne of Isaiah. And it is the Holy Spirit that is always present, making those things happen. Because our relationship, when we are baptized, let's go back to Theophany and our Lord's baptism. We are baptized into Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. And what are we able to, to then do? Because we've been received into Jesus Christ through baptism, chrismated, we're able to say, as we do and we talk about in the liturgy, we say, our Father, right? We are able to now come into relationship with God the Father. This is, this is me taking all of like Pauline thought and trying to like condense it down because we have it just in the baptism where we, the, the archetype, the, the second Adam, Jesus, does everything, and we basically are to go right along and do the exact same thing. We are to be baptized, we are to have the Holy Spirit alight upon us, and we are to now come into relationship with God the Father. Any questions about that? David Wade made a, a comment that, in listening to the last, he was like, man, you, you're talking really fast. I was like, well, you had a lot of stuff to get through, because I give myself an hour, so... But if, is there any questions about this? As you can see, there is, you don't get God the Father without the revelation in Jesus Christ, the scripture says, right? They say, when are you going to, Jesus, when are you going to show us God the Father? He says, ah, here, look, if you see me, you see the Father. Well, for us who are not able to have physical eyes on our Lord, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that enlivens us, that is able for us to be able to perceive him, to be able for us to call upon God the Father. If you read through the Pauline epistles, this is how he talks, and we'll cover that in a little bit more detail. The prayer... No, yeah. It just, it just reminded me of when we make a procession of the gifts, and that people reach out and touch... Mm -hmm. um, garments, right? Which is, we can't do that, nor does it even, I mean, it's just superstition of the Holy Spirit. Do you know, so uh, Josh is commenting about uh, the practice that we have here at St. Anne's, 
And you'll see, there's all these, here's another, there's all of these little practices that some churches do and some churches don't do. So don't be surprised if you go to another church and nobody does that and you're scratching your head like, well, it's just, there's all these little differences. So that practice uh, is uh, the ex- explanation that I have besides a kind of piety towards the gifts uh, that are coming out, uh, which is also part of the piety about uh, receiving a blessing from a priest Uh, that you're receiving a blessing from our Lord as well, but also the veneration of the hands of a priest is because it's the priest's hands that are the ones that are uh, consecrating, breaking, etc. That there is this, that image of touching the hem of the garment is like the woman seeking to be healed by touching the hem of the garment of our Lord. So yes, there is, you're hitting upon something, the life in the church uh, the things that exist in the church, especially I think this is reflected in uh, the relics that we have, right? Our whole understanding of relics is because God is present uh, through the Holy Spirit in his beloved, his friends, such that the, the life-giving power that comes from him can be mediated through his people uh, and therefore heal. So that is... That in a very short way is why we, why do we have relics? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and it heals us and it brings those gifts. When we have uh, in our daily prayers, this is uh, throughout our services, the O Heavenly King. Uh, this is a nice kind of guideline for us uh, in thinking about the Holy Spirit. The he- when we say the heaven- O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth who are everywhere and fills all things, treasure blessings, and giver of life. We see the content of the Holy Spirit in calling him Heavenly King, because he is co-enthroned with the Father and the Son. There is no sense in the Holy Spirit, it's not a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and he's kind of like, I don't know, the third baseman, who maybe like gets the ball hit to him and has to then like sling it over to the first base. But like, he, he's not middle management. He's not... I don't know what a metaphor I want to use here. Like, that's not how we understand him. He's not the pinch hitter. He is fully enthroned Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we understand the three persons of one nature, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the difference is God the Father is the begetter. From him flow everything uh, by his will to create. From him comes and he begets the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the express image. He is light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, right? As we say in the Creed. And then we have from the Father also comes and is the procession of the Holy Spirit. This procession, uh, it's not that you see, so I'm going to follow my hands as best as you can. I don't have a blackboard. You, don't, you have Father, and then you have Son, and then you have like Holy Spirit. You've seen maybe that like triangle depiction. Don't, you, don't do the triangle thing. Probably what's better is Father, Son, and then the Holy Spirit basically coming and alighting on the Son. There is this direct, it's not, it's not a tripod or something. It is a direct, this is one God manifested, in, not manifested, I'm going to be careful, <laughs> eternally in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reason I have to be careful with the word like manifested is it's not that God had a different mask on, right? And I'm Father here. 
and then maybe another mask, and I'm sun, and then another mask in spirit, and it's just one God just manifesting himself as these three persona. That is not the teaching of the church. Um, when we, going back to the prayer, uh, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Do you remember the context of what we call the Holy Spirit Comforter? Yes. Why? What, what is that about? What, why is the Holy Spirit the Comforter? Our Lord saying that he's going to send the Comforter. Because our Lord is not going to be among us like he was among the disciples, right? So, in order for his ministry and the application of his teachings, his leadership, his kingdom that he was founding, he had to send the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. Pentecost, right? How is the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth? Because he's not the spirit of untruth. Jesus <laughs> said he would lead you into all truth. Yes. The devil is the father of lies. The, de- the is the father of lies. The Holy Spirit is going to lead into all truth. What is the Holy Spirit going to... Does that mean the Holy Spirit is going to constantly lead us into truths that we've never seen or understood before? It's going to lead us into deeper understandings of the, of the revealed truth. Who is... Jesus Christ. So go back to the image of Theophany, right? The Holy Spirit, the content of the Holy Spirit, what is the teaching and what is what the Holy Spirit is always going to be pointing at? It's who he is resting upon, who he's alighting on, right? The Holy Spirit is always going to be about Jesus Christ. So I think Leo knows what I was kind of poking at because he definitely said revealed truth and deeper understanding because you also have this understanding the Holy Spirit is God leading his people and he's going to successively reveal new things that maybe hasn't been before. This is where you get all, you open yourself up to any and all sorts of, well, now we know better kind of scenarios. The church has always taught this about uh, who can be ordained. The church has always said this about sexuality. The church has always said this And then you'll have, as we have folks who have, how shall I say, escaped (laughs) the certain churches that get into this mode of like now the spirit, in a different way of spirit-led, this is a spirit-led church that has now left what the historic teachings of the church is and what our Lord is. That is not what the Orthodox Church understands as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to reveal new things such that is opposed to what the revelation of scriptures is. Josh? I just had this conversation with a friend this week, and the, it's also, I mean, they're revealing new truths is one thing, but when, when we in a million different denominations read the same passage for things that are salvific, right, that are part of salvation, and we disagree, and we both say we have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's interpreting somebody, both people, both people can't be right or the Holy Spirit's lying. So there is a basic format of saying Christ is one, Christ, the Holy Spirit is telling the truth in one of these versions, which one is it? Well, there is that God is not the author of confusion and chaos. There is in the content of the Holy Spirit is, as Leo was saying, is always a deepening of the eternal revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that also doesn't mean that you could hear that and say like, well, so that means scripture is somehow, the scripture is 
right there alongside that. That doesn't mean that we somehow get away from Scripture, because we only understand who Jesus Christ is because of Scripture. When we come to who is everywhere, does anyone have any questions about that? I don't want to... I'll take a breath for David. Any questions about that? When we come to the next uh, phrase of the prayer, who are everywhere and fill us to all things, I think we come back to what Arnold, and thinking about the Holy Spirit as being uh, invisible, uh, the Holy Spirit being fully God is everywhere and filling all things. The Holy Spirit is present to everyone and everything. Uh, If I'm remembering correctly, uh, this is coming from my Antiochian days, uh, where we would have done matins uh, in a little bit different fashion than we do. And one of the hymns to the Holy Spirit in matins is, every creature is enlivened or alive because of the Holy Spirit. We receive our life uh, and are vivified because of the Holy Spirit. And to go back to what we said at the beginning of the class, or towards the beginning of the class, that doesn't mean that everything is um, okay because the Holy Spirit is present everywhere. There is, as Natalie was saying, there is, we can move away from the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can put our blinders on and not, or uh, shut our ears. We can look the other way and not see the Holy Spirit speaking to us from someone like a Lazarus. There are ways in which uh, we want to, in acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is present everywhere and filling all things, that everything can be enlivened in the Holy Spirit, can be redeemed, can be uh, brought into fullness of God. Yes? Uh, Can you clarify what you mean by quench? Quench means to, like, turn off the spigot. Not to extend. To extinguish, yeah, you can extinguish the Holy Spirit, yeah. That's on your side of things. He's always present. It's when you go... Isn't it it fair to say to his point that you would have to have had a revelation, like when it talks about the unforgivable sin, is to quench the Holy Spirit in that you you have a revelation of him, you have a relationship with him, and you choose, like you basically say, I know you're here, I'm done with you. I think that if... You know, there's been a lot of ink spilt about the debate about what the unforgivable sin is. My understanding of what that is, is, is basically denying the ability of God to do what he can do. And therefore, you're denying the Holy Spirit. You're therefore denying God. And if you deny God and his ability to operate and work, and well, you've kind of put yourself <laughs> out of bounds in such a way as that, like, how can you forgive, be forgiven for something if you don't basically believe in God. So the, the next phrase is the treasury of blessings and giver of life. The Holy Spirit is the treasury of blessings because the Holy Spirit is how Jesus Christ is mediated to us. That we receive the blessings if you go to like the beginning of the book of Colossians. That we've received all of the heavenly blessings in Jesus Christ, and we have access to that because of the Holy Spirit. He is then, of course, the giver of life, because, again, these are different kind of ways of saying the same thing, right? He gives us life. In Ephesians 4, 
verses 4 through 5. This is, I have thought about actually doing the entire catechesis or for the catechumens just using the book of Ephesians and just slowly walking through the book of Ephesians. So if you are reading the Gospels right now and you're like, I would like to read a little something else, pick up Ephesians because you will get everything that we're talking about, you will see it here in Ephesians, uh, the whole class. Not, of course, how you walk into a church and make the sign of the cross. That's kind of ridiculous. But you will see the basic outline, the theological points, uh, etc. So when we get to Ephesians 4, we have, I'm just going to start in verse 1. Paul saying, therefore, I, Paul, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It is very much uh, like Paul to talk to one of his... uh, Communities, one of the churches, and saying, all right, you guys need to uh, learn how to long-suffering, be with each other in a gentle, humble, and long-suffering way. Because it is in doing this that you are able to keep the unity of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what unites us and binds us together. Because, as Paul says, there's one body, right? This is the body of Christ, which has one spirit, who is, uh, because we have one hope that we are bound together in that spirit, because we have one Lord Jesus Christ, which means that there's one faith, because this, you can see him just one, 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 unity, 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 uh, unity because of the Holy Spirit in the Lord, in the faith, in the baptism, one God and Father of all, but the reason outside of talking about the unity that is won by the Holy Spirit for us here in specifically in the church, the body of Christ, is the very last bit, which is where Paul says that God is above all, through all, and in you all. Can you, anyone want to think about how that might break down? Who is God that is above all? The Father. The Father. Who is God that's through all things? Jesus Christ. And who is the God that's in you all? The Holy Spirit. God, Father, is above all, through all, and in you all. He fills everything. And it is specifically in the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. That is how we engage with the Christian life. It is how we're able to struggle uh, to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, St. Irenaeus, when he talks about uh, the church uh, and the spirit, which you may remember from St. Ignatius, we'll talk about St. Ignatius next time because we'll talk about ecclesiology and 
probably come back to Ephesians 4 here. St. Irenaeus talks about where the church is, there is the spirit, and where the spirit is, there is the church. In the church, we have uh, the life of the spirit because we are the body of Christ, because we all, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit, can call on God the Father. But this life that we have is, let's now go to Romans 8. This life is, the power of the Holy Spirit is what enables us to actually live into our calling of being in Jesus Christ. So, would somebody like to read this out loud so I can take a breath? (laughs) Romans 8. Somebody loud. And clear. Like there it, is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their hands on the, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Thank you, Arnold. I'll have you read a little bit more here in a minute. So, we see the Holy Spirit... Well, let's just start from the beginning. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Those who have been baptized into Jesus Christ are now outside of condemnation but the path of following jesus christ as we i wish we had a little bit more time last time to talk about the teachings the parables uh the specifically looking at the sermon on the mount and if anyone missed last time please go back and listen to the the talk but more importantly go back and carefully read the sermon on the mount because it outlines what the life is according to the spirit as opposed to life in the flesh Now, let's get something straight. Well, what is meant here by the flesh? Is Paul talking about your body? Is he talking about this? No. Are you maybe confused? What what is he talking about? What is he talking about that we're not to walk according to the flesh? Well, you might say it was the devil or carnal uh, desire carnal desire which is something that's different from the flesh right the reason you may be wondering why is he talking like i'm explicating this because you will hear this is a very common criticism of christianity uh christians hate bought their bodies christians because they want to control uh by the grace of god to control their lusts and desires uh hate their body They don't just live in the body. What Paul is advocating here is, and this can get twisted in Christian teaching. You can emphasize 
fighting against the desires of the flesh in such a way as to create in someone hatred for their body. That is not, that is not a way to understand how to relate to your flesh. Uh, some of this might come over from Plato where, or you know, Plotinus later is a Greco-Roman philosopher who talks about the body as a cage, the body as this kind of prison that we need to be released from. That is, you, and you can hear some language like that uh, in uh, the fathers, or you can even see it maybe here in Paul. But the right understanding, and this is balanced out by understanding what asceticism is, or what fasting is, how we are to constrain our desires, uh, we're not talking about hating your body. Uh, if you are hating your body to try and discipline your desires, you're going to end up doing it wrong. You're going to mess things up. Uh, as in, you are going to, you're going to have a lot of other issues <laughs> that you're going to miss the point, and you're going to end up in a very different place. So if you're struggling with those kind of things, you can talk to me about those, and we can talk about ways... Uh, different ways to approach the ascetical life or the struggle with sin. The law of the Spirit, in verse 2, of life in Christ Jesus, has made us free of the law of sin and death. For sin and death, sin in our lives is like poison. And when we continue down that path, the habits, the things, the addictions, the uh, all of the carnal-minded things, they are the things that are ultimately what destroys us. And this isn't just like, primarily it's our relationship with God. And then it's our relationship with others. It's also why our bodies die. Sin really is like poison for our bodies. It's not just an idea. You're going to... I know. This is one of the things I've come away with from catechesis generally is... There's so much that you think it's just ideas. No, it really is real. The Holy Spirit dwells, as we'll come to, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is revivifying this flesh because we're going to be resurrected. It's, uh, do you remember, maybe you guys had this, I remember the question that was always floating around. When we go to heaven, are we going to recognize each other? Did you guys ever have those questions? Of course you are, because you're going to be you. <laughs> You may, like, did, so there is that they didn't recognize our resurrected Lord, right? But that had more to do with their ability to see, kind of like the rich man today in the gospel, right? It is not that when they were able to see him, it's not because, like, you know, he had makeup on or a wig or, like, he didn't look, you know, he was who he was. His flesh was resurrected in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we... As First John tells us, we will see him and we'll be like him. Uh, this is important for us to remember that our flesh is being redeemed. The Holy Spirit is the giver of life to our flesh. The Holy Spirit uh, guides us in our battle with the flesh. Let's jump down to verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind, the reason why it's death is because it's enmity. It's pitted against God, and it doesn't really care for the things of God, and therefore it won't please God. 
This is why, going back to the beginning of Colossians I referenced earlier, Jesus Christ is the blessing from on high, and we are to put our minds. Remember the very beginning of the anaphora? We had the, the love of Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're going to say, let us lift up our hearts. The whole beginning of the anaphora is us lifting up our minds and our hearts into the very presence of God. This is what we're supposed to be doing daily. This is not just Sunday morning, as you know, but our lifting up our hearts and our minds to follow uh, the life of the Spirit is what brings us into the presence of God. Any questions or... You know what you talked about before, just a fairly quick. You're fine. I've been reading, I've been reading uh, Rodrigo Matthews' book, and she does spend some time talking about how a lot of people have the concept that our bodies and spirits are separate, and, right. and our spirit will go to heaven and it won't be recognizable. Right. And this whole thing about how, but, but in orthodoxy, the spirit and the body are together. The, the body dies, but the spirit is not. But when we are reborn, our flesh will still house our spirit. So, like yeah, one metaphor that I've always, I don't know why, this is just, our in, there's not internal self that's like, uh, is this like men in black or something, where there's like a little guy that's like in the head, like driving things? Like that's our soul, that's who our, we really are, and at some point we're just going to jettison out of this old body and leave it behind? That's not, well, go back to relics. Like we, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. That means that our bodies are going to be resurrected, they're going to be transfigured. It's going to be us. It's going to be, in some sense, this flesh. And in another sense, it's not this flesh, right? When you look at our Lord, when he goes to Thomas, he had the marks, right? But he was resurrected. He was recognizable. He, it was still him, but a different, a new body is still what he had and is what we will have. Yeah. We focus so much on the body also in orthodoxy, but we, right. we, we believe in physicality. We, when you're baptized, you're put completely under the water. Uh, when, when you're, when you're uh, chrismated, it's real, it's real chrism. Even travel blessing, it's real water. It's not, uh, <laughs> it, you know, the, 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 the Holy Communion needs to taste good. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 after, and after living a whole life like that, being just married in, in God. Um, then, then absolutely believe that the actual bodies we be raised in newness of life. That affirmation of the bodyliness, the bodyliness of orthodoxy, is because it's just who we are. I mean, why would church be a different thing than other things? Like it is sanctified and directed towards God, and that is why if we go through. The next few verses in Romans 8, it is the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And if Christ, this is verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. The body is not your body, but is the body of death that is in you. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, the Spirit of life is because of righteousness, is because the Holy Spirit, this is not an automatic thing. You do not get the Holy Spirit and then you're immortal. 
you have the down payment for you know your resurrection body, and now as you know you're set. That's it. You know what is going on and reflected in this text is that the life and the spirit. Uh, it's got a lot of big like hard words here. Death, <laughs> putting yourself to death so that you live. That is what the Holy Spirit does for us. It enlivens us because it helps us to focus on the good, the true, the beautiful, the things of God. In verse 12, Brethren, we are debtors not to live, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God, for you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That spirit of adoption is what I was referencing earlier about Paul's epistles. When you are brought into the household of God, because Jesus Christ, uh, you have been adopted into the household of God the Father. And it is how we are able to cry out to God the Father. And it is the Holy Spirit that, uh, I will keep reading, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Again, that adoption language. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Earlier in Romans, in Romans 6, uh, we have the discussion of if we've been baptized into his death, then we'll be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. The life in the spirit, again, is a reference back to Jesus Christ. It is a reference to the cruciform life that we have that is us putting to death the passions, the fleshiness, uh, the carnality of our, um, our spirits, the things that we want instead of God. And that, let's just continue. I consider, this is verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that which, which will be revealed to us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. This, Paul takes the interior battle of a Christian, and then it's on a cosmic scale here. All of creation, and we talked about the Holy Spirit being present to all of creation. All of creation is groaning to move into the resurrected, the eternal life that is for us. But this means <laughs> this groaning has to take place within us because we are uh, the ones for whom all of creation has been put into the state and is waiting for the glorious liberty, the final, I would say, showdown where everything is finally put to right uh, put to rights, where it is put back together, where it is resurrected and redeemed. Again, the emphasis in Paul here is the redemption, the end of verse 23, the redemption of our body. So the Holy Spirit is what we, uh, 
who we call upon daily in our prayers. He is always present, working together with the, our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And if we go back to the Naphrim, we're talking about how everything that our Lord has done uh, brings us to the brink of communion in him in the physical body and blood of our Lord. How do we receive the, the body and blood of Christ? Say, this is bread, this is the cup. And then we make the change by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what mediates to us uh, life in the church. It is the spirit of unity. Uh, it is what allows us to gather around our Lord, the one Lord, the one God and Father of all, through our one baptism into the one body. Any other questions about the Holy Spirit? I want to do Josh, when you brought up spirit-led church, one of the things uh, that is, when we talk about Holy Spirit, I think I would be remiss in talking a little bit about um, charismatic uh, things. A lot of charismatic, uh, I'll say excess, and the reason why I say excess is because a lot of it falls outside the boundaries of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, that God is not the author of chaos, uh, that he is the author of um, unity and understanding. So even if you have debates about like speaking in tongues, for example, right? Uh, throughout scripture, speaking in tongues means if you go to Pentecost, they weren't speaking uh, the, the language of angels. They're speaking other languages because what's the point of the Holy Spirit? Is the point of the Holy Spirit to have ecstatic uh, personal experiences that puts you in the limelight that then you share with people? Nine. Nine. The, the German Lutheran has spoken. <laughs> no, that is not uh, a pattern. In fact, the church, if to have revelations, to have visions of those things, the church is slow down, get some advice, <laughs> just wait. We don't, we, uh, we, of course, the church is open to miracles. The church is open to... I mean, you can't read the history of the church and say, like, the church is against... wants to quench the Holy Spirit and turn off the Holy Spirit. But it is always, because of that unity of the body, it is always mediated. It is always sought in humility. And if you see the fruit of the cross and of... of well, the fruit of the Spirit. If it is something that creates uh, division, if it's something that creates... Uh, the propping up of oneself, a kind of individuality of look at me. Uh, those are signs, sure signs it's not actually the Holy Spirit, but it is another spirit operating. I'll give you a, this is an anecdote. So it's just an anecdote. I, this is from, it's not a person, this is like third hand, but it came through my wife. So that's as good as being first hand. Okay. So, uh, San Francisco, there, there used to be, it's still active, long story, but there was a, a community that would serve um, homeless and people in transition who need housing uh, and to help them secure housing and other things, okay? And there was two folks who were working there. They were both Orthodox. One, though, was, background was uh, Ethiopian. So they would have known Gaiz, which is basically their, Latin, their ecclesiastical Latin or their church Slavonic, right? That's what they do, the services in, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. They were walking along in San Francisco, and they heard this service going on. And the one fellow turned to the Ethiopian fellow, and he's like, 
you, like, we should go in here. I bet you've never experienced charismatic worship before. So you should have just at least experienced this. It's like, okay. So they go in. Speaking in tongues is going on. They're speaking in tongues, all this, you know, slaying the spirit, all this stuff. I'm not as familiar with these things. I didn't grow up charismatic, but I've seen it. So the Ethiopian guy is kind of like, okay. And at some point he grabs the arm of his friend. And he says, we got to get out of here. Okay, so they go outside the door and they're kind of walking. He's like, we get, he's like, okay, the one guy that we heard speaking in tongues, he was speaking Gaiz, and I understood what he was saying, and he was not saying anything about God. What he was speaking, because you, when you open yourself up to things, you can open yourself up to all sorts of things, and if you're not grounded, you can get yourself really far out there. So. What he, I'm, I don't know the specifics, but basically what the specifics were is that he was blaspheming God. But he, was doing, he thought he was glorifying God, but he opened himself up for another spirit to take up residence. And this fellow heard the guys and knew, because he was speaking a language, that there was this not a good thing. So this is not me taking a particular swipe at charismaticism per, per se, but it's just the point of the worship of God is not the raising up of the carnal aspect of uh, our just emotional, or, and that's not emotions have a place in our life and even in our worship, but that is not the end. If you come from worship, uh, it used to be, I remember you want to go to worship and, and it would be like, I got jazzed up in worship, and like, but then now I'm down, or like church wasn't as good. It was almost like we're into this like entertainment or this, uh, that's, that's not the point. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you into the fruit uh, of the Spirit and is going to guide you towards Christ and his cross and repentance so that you can see, I'm going to go back to the, the sermon today, so that you can see a Lazarus, not that you can point at yourself. Arnold, did you raise your hand? Well, he's a little hard to follow you outside. talks about He just straight up says it. Yeah. Would it not be fair to say though, that there are subtle, that, that there are charisms that are that operate in it? For instance, you as a pastor have a, the Holy Spirit has given you the charism, charism to be a pastor. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. Uh, if you keep reading in Ephesians 4, he gives gifts of administration or, well, that we say that in the hymns from Pentecost. Uh, of preaching, of teaching, of, I would say he gives gifts for people to console people. He gives gifts for people to um, be able to be present as uh, a brother and sister in Christ and be able to be a Bartholomew. Or you, you have all of these, Barnabas, not Bartholomew, Bar- Barnabas as, as a, um, someone who's an encourager, right? I, the, the Spirit is giving many, many gifts, and we at St. Anne's have, are blessed with many people with many gifts that were given from God. So this is not to say that we don't that we don't have life in the Spirit. <laughs> this is not to say we're not a Spirit-led church. It just doesn't operate in the same lingo or the same way. Uh, what it is is, as I think Scripture is clear, it, it is to edify and build up the body. That is what the, the Spirit is for. If it's not building up the body, it's, it's of no use. Yeah, but then, it, 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 then it's usually uh, the beginning of First Corinthians. I am of Apollos. I am of this other thing. It's not the spirit of unity. It's the spirit of sectarianism, chaos, division. 
Any other questions? I think it's the first time I've clocked in right under an hour. Let's end with prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you all.